Good morning and welcome to you guys and also happy fall y'all. Hasn't the weather been amazing? This is, this is why people move to the mountains. It's been glorious uh, the last week or two. This is my favorite time of the year. I uh, want to welcome those of you who are both uh, here in the room with us, of course, as well as um, our online church family, wherever you may be joining us. I uh, just want to say welcome. Uh, if this is your first or your second time, maybe you're just fairly new here, uh, my name is Chris and I'm one of your pastors here at New Life. And today we're going to be kind of wrapping up. This is going to be our sixth and final installment of our Good Design series on sex, love, and marriage God's way. And as we've done throughout the series, just want to, if you're new here, give you a little uh, parental warning, some of the contents, uh, kind of PG 13, 14. So if you've got a kid, you might want to just kind of exit preschool ministry to the right kids ministry right upstairs. If you're watching online, maybe just send them to the bedroom, put a Disney movie on or, or something like that. And um, listen, o- over the last six weeks or so, we've, we, we've hit on a lot of topics, right? So we've hit on really important things, really controversial things uh, in our culture, things like the purpose of sex, what real love is, what real love is not, We've looked at singleness. We did that last week Pastor, with Pastor Jonathan. We've looked at uh, the gender, like the purpose and role of gender. It's part of God's good design, right, to create men and, and women. It's, it's not a mistake. It's, it's not fluid. It's, it's a good gift from God to humanity. We've looked at premarital sex. We've looked at homosexual sex. We've talked about heterosexual sin. We've talked about pornography, right? We just kind of the last six week, weeks just jumped right in uh, the, on the deep end uh, just because I, I love to get hate mail during the week. And so if you're if you're new, if you're new here, um, you can just catch up on, on the previous five messages if, if you are brave enough on the website or the app. Uh, also, just quickly want to say today will be the last day that we have a resource uh, table in the lobby. So if you want to go deeper on any of the subjects that we've talked about, there are seven books out there. Uh, we are selling those at or below cost, so we're not making a, a dime on any of those. We just want to make those resources uh, available for you so you can go deeper uh, if, if you wish to do that. Now, we can't, I don't think we can finish uh, a series about sex and relationships uh, God's way without talking about the subject of marriage. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about today is the subject of, of marriage. And, and, and here's why I believe this is so important, Be- because I believe that our culture, the world, has sort of presented us with what I would call kind of a false dichotomy. And, and so uh, it's given us these two false choices. And, and the idea is, in our culture, you can either choose good sex or you can choose God, but you can't choose both, right? And so c- kind of what we're told is that you can choose good sex, and that means you, know, you can choose between many different sexual partners. You can indulge in pornography if you want. And even in marriage, as soon as you're not completely sexually satisfied, you can just kind of cash in on that relationship and move on to another. And so that's one thing that gets presented, one option. So you've, you can have a lot of sexual freedom, but no God. Or the second option we're told is you can choose God, and that just means there's going to be uh, no sex before marriage, and you're going to have uh, boring and monotonous sex after marriage, and then you die, right? And so that's kind of, those are kind of the two options that get presented to us in culture today. And, and, and what I want to do this morning is really challenge that idea. I want to challenge that idea, and, and I want to, to do my best to present to you a compelling vision of sex in marriage God's way as the best, most satisfying sex humanly possible. 
And again, I know this is countercultural to, to everything that's spoken about sex and relationships in our culture today, but I believe that this is true. I can remember a few years ago, Cheryl and I got to get away for a long weekend. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to these like kind of luxurious cabin, cabins, you know, so it's not, not like super rustic, kind of swaggy cabin type thing. And, and it was really awesome. So we had all these like, you know, four and five course meals and uh, I don't know how they did it, but, but every time we would leave the room, they would have somebody that I guess was spying on us and they would run up into our room and, and make a romantic fire for us, right? And we had this, um, this copper hot tub on our own private deck that kind of overlooked the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so it was, it was really romantic. And Judah was born nine months later and it was, it was beautiful. And um, it was, I'm just kidding. He was already born by the time we went to these, these cabins. But it was amazing. These people would just come as soon as we'd go down for lunch or we'd go on a hike or whatever it was and they would, they would make this, this fire for us and it was incredible, right? We'd go soak in the tub and then we could come and read a book by the fireplace with the wood crackling and it was super romantic and just a beautiful, beautiful time. But let me ask you this. If we, if, if we kind of came back after dinner one night and the person that, that was secretly making all those fires for us had made a fire on our bed, that wouldn't have been nearly as romantic, would it, right? We'd have been trying to put it out as quickly as possible. We would have been trying to get out of the building before we died, before the chaos and destruction set in because of that fire. And so we've kind of talked about through this series that sex is kind of like fire. As long as it's in the right boundaries, it's beautiful and life-giving and warming and romantic. But as soon as we take it outside of the boundaries that God has created for it to operate in, it can create chaos and destruction and pain, right? So we've talked about the fact that the message of the entire Bible is that sex is good, guys. This is, this is God's idea. It's not something that we invented, but the, the scripture, scriptures are also extremely clear, but it, that it will only flourish in our lives in the right place. And that right place, according to the designer of this thing called sex, is within marriage, in fact, I think it's worth noting that the Bible begins with a wedding in the garden and ends with a wedding in the book of Revelation, which I think should probably tell us that there's something deeply significant about marriage in God's economy as it relates to sex and relationships and maybe even more importantly, spiritual reality. And so if you have a Bible this morning, let me encourage you to grab that, open it up, maybe turn it on your device. We're gonna start in Genesis 2. We're going to move into uh, the Song of Solomon, and things are going to get a bit spicy there. And then we're going to end in Ephesians 5, right? So that's kind of, kind of the game plan uh, for this morning. Now, week one, we read the, the narrative in Genesis 2, but uh, in case you're newer, newer, let me just catch you up really quickly. First two chapters of Genesis, God is creating everything that is, right? So he creates the land and the sea. He creates day and night, sun and moon, animals and fish, plants and trees, and finally he gets to the culmination of his creation and he cre creates humankind, right? And so he creates Adam first and for the first time, you know, he, after he's created everything, he's, he looks at it and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And for the very first time, he looks at Adam sitting there alone and he says, that is not good. <laughs> this, this is not gonna work well with, with just him at all, right? It's not good for man to be alone. And so uh, God creates Eve and he, he brings her to Adam and Adam sees his naked wife for the very first time and he breaks out into a love poem or a love song, right? This is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And that is biblical language from Adam for holy smokes. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank, thank you, Lord, you are good. I will worship you forever. First man, first woman, first marriage, and God says to them, first commandment, multiply and fill the, earth, fill the earth. In other words, get busy, have lots of sex, pop out some babies, teach them to love me, and then fill the earth with my worshipers. Right? Now, but there's something interesting in that language right in the middle of Genesis 2 that we can't miss. This will be on the screens for you. Genesis 2, starting in verse 24. It says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We've talked about this one flesh thing throughout this series. This is a really important biblical concept. Verse 25, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, the reason that they were both in the buff and not ashamed is because sin had not yet entered the equation, right? The marriage bed was undefiled. There was no comparison to previous sexual partners or pornography or anything like that. There was just this awesome, God-approved, fulfilling sex within the bounds of a godly marriage. And listen, guys, it was beautiful. It was beautiful and it was pure. And what I want to argue today is, is that this vision of sex that we get starting in Genesis 2, going all throughout the New Testament, is what God wants for your life, relationally and sexually, unless, of course, God has called you to singleness, which Pastor Jonathan addressed last week. Furthermore, Genesis 2 uses this language of one flesh, which Jesus also uses in Matthew 19. Paul uses after him many times. We're going to look at that in Ephesians 5 later on. This one flesh terminology that God uses to describe what happens when a man and a woman enter into a sexual relationship, right? There's, we talked about this three weeks ago. There's just this bonding that happens when a couple has sex beyond what happens physically, right? There's this emotional bonding that happens. There's this, whether we want it to or not, there's this spiritual bonding that happens, and modern science now is telling us the same thing, right? Studies have shown that when two people have sex, all these bonding chemicals, we didn't know this 10 years ago, but all these bonding chemicals get released into our brains. Things like oxytocin and dopamine, all these things get released into our brain and it creates neuropathways that are intended to bond us to the other person. And that's beautiful as long as that happens in the context of marriage, but the only way this is not super damaging is if we do it, listen guys, with one person for a lifetime. That, that's marriage. That's God's good design for sex for men and women. And according to Jesus in Matthew 19, the only alternative to his vision of sex for his followers, and now again, we're talking about followers of Jesus. We're talking about inside the church. We're not saying we need to kind of go out there and superimpose um, our sexual values and ethics on the world and try to create laws and make unbelievers live like believers, that doesn't even make sense. But we're just saying, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, that you love Christ, that you're a Christian, what he's saying is, okay, for you, my vision for sex is one man, one woman in marriage for life. And in Matthew 19, he says, the only alternative for my followers is celibacy. Which, by the way, guys, is a beautiful gift. As Pastor Jonathan talked about last week, singleness is not a curse like our culture tells us it is. It can actually be an incredible gift that can be leveraged powerfully in the kingdom of Jesus. I mean, we look at the life of Christ himself, right? The most perfect man that ever walked the face of the planet, never had a girlfriend, never had sex, was never married. We look at the Apostle Paul, who was also single, wrote most of the New Testament. Listen, guys, sex is not a requirement to live a fulfilling life. 
Don't, don't buy that lie. It will not fix what is broken inside of you. I promise you that. But if you're not called to singleness and you want to experience sex in life and you feel called to that, the only way that's going to be healthy for you and the person that you're with is by following God's design for it. Now, this, is, this was amazing to me as I studied this week. Statistically, and again, listen, you will not hear this in our culture. You will not hear this on a secular college campus. You will not hear this on any mainstream news media outlet in our culture, uh, and yet this is, this is reality. These are the facts. Statistically, married people have more sex, better sex, more satisfying sex, and more frequent sex than those who have sex outside of marriage. Dr. Walt Larrymore, who's researched this stuff, he's actually written a book called uh, His Brain, Her Brain, has this to say. Listen to this. About 88% of Americans... So, Nine out of 10, practically. 88% of Americans say they are happy or reasonably content with their married sex. Nine out of 10, that's a pretty good batting average. And three quarters report that their sex lives are reasonably fulfilling. That's according to a national poll of over 1,000 married Americans commissioned by Parade Magazine. He goes on to say that his research shows, shows three things very clearly. Number one, that sex is better in marriage. Sex is better among religious or spiritual couples. You're not going to hear that either, are you? And then number three, also interesting, sex is not better if you cohabitate before marriage. He goes on to cite a study from the University of Chicago, and I'm going to put this on the screen so you can read along with me. He says this, married couples have sex far more frequently than single or cohabitating adults. This same study found that the more religious a married couple the more frequent and satisfying their sex. Religious people who are married by far and away have the best sex lives. They have the most frequent sex, the most satisfying sex, the most fun sex, and the longest lived sex lives. When the researchers looked at which religious denominations had the best sex, I'd love to just kind of be a part of that polling, they learned that the faithful who are married reported that not only was their sex more frequent, but also they were far more likely to rate their sex as being extremely satisfying. Conservative, that's not political conservatism, that's theological conservatism, just meaning people who actually believe the Bible. So I would argue real Christians. Conservative evangelical Protestant women, the survey found, reported the most satisfying sex of anybody else on the planet. He goes on to say, one of the most destructive things in our culture to a good sex life is cohabitation, which is rampant in our culture today, and people don't even question it anymore. So I just want to read you part of his quote on this. This is what he says, and I, and I quote, of eight couples that live together before marriage, four of them will split up before they even get married. The four that do get married, three of those four will end in divorce. And so seven out of eight couples who cohabitate before marriage will not stay together for the long haul. Statistically, they have less sex and more boring sex. So as I was looking at all these studies this week, man, the question that just came into my mind was, what are we doing as a culture, y'all? What are we doing? Like everything tells us, not only God's word, but scientific research. Researchers are telling us that what we're doing as a culture, this idea of sexual liberation and freedom does not work. It does not deliver on its promise to make us more free and more satisfied people relationally or sexually. 
And what science and research tells us today, interestingly enough, is what God has been telling us in his word for thousands and thousands of years. The book, uh, Song of Solomon, it's a little book in the Old Testament. It is known as the book of love. And it is a collection of sometimes erotic love poetry describing a marriage in the marriage bedroom of a godly man and woman. And so we dipped into this a few weeks ago. We're about to dip into it again. Uh, Jewish boys were not allowed to read this book until they were 30 years old. And so if you are a Jewish man under the age of 30, please leave now so that I don't get angry emails from your rabbi next week. Um, listen, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, let me just give you a disclaimer. Um, I'm gonna read part of this to you. Some of you will blush. Many of you will refuse to make eye contact for the rest of the sermon. Um, and that's fine, but ju- I just want to say, just remember, this is the Bible, right? I'm teaching you the Bible. And, and as a pastor, my job is, guess what? To teach you the Bible. All, all of the Bible. And so if this makes you uh, radically uncomfortable, if this offends you in some way, let me just remind you, I am not the chef, I'm simply the server, right? I just, I just kind of serve up what God has given. And so chapters four through seven, this couple, this godly couple has has waited until their uh, wedding night to engage in their sexual relationship. And now in chapter four, it's, it's game on, all right? And so this is anything but boring. And so if you're a little bit prude, just kind of buckle up, because here we go. Uh, the, the groom, when we get to chapter four, is admiring his bride, um, starting in chapter four, verse one. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screens for you, and we'll get through this together, all right? Here we go. This is, this is a groom and a bride who have waited until their wedding night, and this is how it's going down. He says this, how beautiful you are, oh my darling. Oh, how beautiful, your eyes behind your veil are are like doves, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead, and I'm not sure that transfers in our culture today, but apparently that's pretty pretty sexy back in the day. Verse two, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. See, so like back in the day, a few thousand years ago, for an adult to have all of their teeth was pretty rare and exotic. It's kind of like if you're like me and you grew up in Alabama. It's just kind of, it's just kind of rare. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. He's working his way down. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until that day breaks, and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Whew. All the married men said, praise Jesus. All right, chapter seven, he continues, and this time instead of starting at her head, he starts at her feet. And there's some weirdos out there that like feet, so this, this is for you. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. He's admiring his bride's feet on their wedding night. Your rounded thighs are like jewels. She does squats. He's he's a fan. The work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Now guys, just pro tip, that doesn't translate well. Now, if you tell your wife... Her belly's like a heap of wheat. I said that to Cheryl one time, and she punched me in the throat. Just don't. You don't, you don't have to quote every Bible verse. Verse three, so he's, he's clearly moving his way up. 
Uh, your two breasts are like uh, two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon. Also, skip that one, which looks towards Damascus. That might be more offensive than sexy. Your head, crown, your, your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O oh loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruits. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Hallelujah. All right. Now, she responds to her husband at the end of chapter four and into chapter five. And again, singles, this is not for you. All right. This is, this is for married folks. All right. This is her response to being admired by her her new groom. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Verse 10 of chapter five. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. He's, he's strong, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black like a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rod, rods of gold set with topaz. She's admiring her husband's guns, man. He's been working out. He's a crossfitter. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. I don't even know what that is, but I bet it's hot. His legs, his legs, his legs are like pillars of marble. This homeboy does not skip leg day. He does his squats too. His legs are like pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter five, most scholars think this is King Solomon giving uh, wisdom, uh, discipleship to one of his sons or perhaps a, a group of young men. And so he's talking to these guys about sex in, in the context of marriage. And this is what he says, Proverbs chapter five, drink water from your own cistern, your wife, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Now let me ask you a question, church. Does this sound like a lame, boring sex life to you? No. Do you think you would be missing out to, to wait on this? Heck no, man. This is, this is what the world is looking for and longing for in relationships and sexual fulfillment. And we're looking for it in all the wrong places. And so here's truth number one. This will be on the screens for you. Truth number one this morning, married sex is the best sex. Again, God has been saying this in his word from Genesis chapter two all the way to the end of Revelation and now science and researchers and psychologists and sociologists are finally thousands of years later just confirming what God has been telling us from day one. That married sex is the best, most satisfying sex possible in the human experience. So the, the next logical question then is this, what kind of marriage what kind of marriage leads to this sort of intoxicating, loving, godly, sexually satisfying union? 
because I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, bro, I am married and that has not, <laughs> that has not been my experience at all. In fact, I may need to go knock off some cobwebs before too long. And the reality is I realize that's true. Listen, just getting married does not guarantee a healthy sex life. But thankfully, the Apostle Paul lays out for us this beautiful blueprint of what a godly marriage looks like in Ephesians chapter 5. And so if you've got your Bible, go ahead and move there. We're going to park there for the rest of our time. Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 21, this is what Paul writes to Christian husbands and Christian wives. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that submission, of course, looks different for husband, looks different for wife. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now really important there to note that Paul does not say women submit to men. Right? I think that's a, that's a toxic ideology that gets taught in a lot of churches and it creates all sorts of confusion and, and abuse and things like that. He does not say women submit to men categorically. He says, no, no, wives submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, this is where it gets fascinating. He switches gears to the dudes and he says, husbands, love your wives, how? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did he give himself up for the church? He, he died a brutal, bloody death to redeem us, his bride. Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands, you ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, for this reason, and now he's quoting Genesis 2, which we just read. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and the two, same phrase we've been talking about, the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. He's saying, man, this whole thing, this whole marriage thing has been a mystery for all of human history. I'm about to unlock that mystery for you, the primary purpose of, of marriage. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, there's no way I can unpack all of this. This would take at least an entire sermon, maybe two. I did unpack all of this last year. I did a two-part marriage kind of sermon miniseries in our study through 1 Peter. That series was called Hope in Exile. And so if you want to go back and kind of dig in a little deeper, that you can find that message series on our website. But, but here's what I want you to see from this. What Paul is saying is that marriage is ultimately a picture of the gospel. The primary purpose in God's design for marriage is, is to picture, to mirror the gospel to the world around you. And in that picture, wives are to mirror the church, the bride, while husbands are to mirror Jesus, the groom. And so the man is laying down his life. He literally, he's literally willing to die in order to serve, honor, and cherish his wife. And see, what, I, what I've seen, especially in a Western context, not so much outside of Western cultures, but a lot of times people get hung up on the call to wives. 
right? So they hear that word submission and, and they kind of lose their minds because that's such a, a, a negative term in our culture. But you got to understand in the Bible, it was, it was never a negative term, term at all. In fact, th- think, think about the very nature of God himself, right? We see, we see the Father sending the Son, right? The Son submitting to the will of the Father. We even see the night before the crucifixion, what does Jesus say? If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, Father, let it pass, but not my will be done, your will be done, right? He's submitting to the will of the Father, and then when he ascends back to heaven after the resurrection, he sends the Son, or he, the Son sends the Spirit, rather, and so we see the Spirit submitting to the Son, right? All God, all co-equal, different functions, and yet willfully submitting to one another in this kind of beautiful, life-giving way. But people hear that word submission and they just kind of tune it out. And what I always want to say, especially when it's ladies that get offended, I, I, I want to say, did you read the part to the dudes? <laughs> did you read that part? Because listen, the instruction for the wife is 41 words in the Greek. While the instruction for the husbands is 116 words in the Greek. And I don't think that's an accident either. And the call for us as men, as husbands, is to die for our wives. To literally die to ourselves, to crucify our wants and our needs and our ambitions in order to serve and cherish and love our wives just like Christ did for his bride, the church. And so I just want to say to you, married ladies, if your husband ever says to you, woman, submit, you can just quote the Bible to him and say, man, die. All right? <laughs> like, hey, if, as long as we're quoting verses, let's just go all the way. Right? Woman, submit, just tell him, man, die. The call for men, you need to understand this, the call for men in marriage is exceedingly more sacrificial. And you have to understand, man, and when, this, when this was written, the historical context in the Greco-Roman world and the Jewish first century context where, listen guys, women were literally viewed as property, like animals or a, a, a plot of land. You have to understand, in that context, for Paul to write this, how shocking to the system it would have been for men to hear that they were to lay down their lives to love, cherish, and serve their wives. Every time Paul preached this, there would have been men get up and walk out furious, right? Listen, this was, this was a scandalous teaching 2,000 years ago. Absolutely unheard of that men were to lay down their very lives to love, cherish, serve their brides. And Paul goes on and he says, hey, listen, there's been this mystery surrounding marriage for all these years where we know there's something godly about it. We know there's something good about it, but we don't really know what the ultimate purpose is or what it really signifies or whatever. And he says, here's the ultimate purpose in marriage. And listen, guys, this is what he says. It's not about your happiness. And this is where I think marriage kind of goes sideways in our culture a lot is we really believe that marriage is about our spouse meeting our needs, completing us and satisfying us. And Paul says, not in a Christian marriage. That's not the purpose in a Christian marriage is to find self-fulfillment in your spouse. He says, the ultimate purpose of marriage in the Christian marriage, and this is truth number two. This will also be on the screens for you. Marriage is meant to paint a picture for the world about a savior and his bride. That's the purpose. That's the mystery behind marriage. And what Paul is saying to to these beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in this ancient city of Ephesus is, listen, guys, I love you, but you got to understand this whole marriage thing, it's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. We can't like tinker with it and toy with it and just throw it away when we don't like it. It's bigger than us. 
This is really important stuff, guys. This is the one human relationship that God has designed to teach humanity about his own love, about his intimate and self-sacrificial love for his bride, the church, for us. This is, this is huge. And so, listen, friends, I'm, I'm just telling you, in this delicate dance where the wife is lovingly following and honoring and respecting her husband at the very same time the husband is literally laying down his life to serve and love and cherish his bride listen things in the bedroom are going to get steamy that's just the way it happens when you listen guys when you when you have a marriage where both people are trying to outdo one another in love and service where it's kind of like this competition to see who, see who can outserve and who can outlove and who can outhonor the other person. Listen, dudes, I promise you, you get home from work and you walk in and instead, listen, guys, instead of plopping down on the couch and vegging out on your phone or in front of the TV, if you instead are, I promise you, if you instead are actively looking for ways to serve your wife, hey, babe, let me, let me finish dinner for you. Hey, sweetie, let me... Let, 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 me, let me clean the dishes after dinner. In fact, well, I'm, let me take the kids. I'm gonna get them ready. I'm gonna put them in bed. Why don't you go run a hot bath and, and read a book and just have an hour or two of, of you time. Let me, let me serve you. Dudes, I promise you, you start doing that, your sex life is not gonna be boring, all right? It's not, it's not gonna be boring. Ladies, let me talk to you for a minute. If you honor your husband, if you follow his lead, when he tries to lead you spiritually or relationally, when you encourage him instead of tear him down, now, now listen, ladies, I, I realize sometimes with du dudes, it's gonna be clunky, right? It's gonna be a little weird. It's gonna be a little unnatural. He's not always, he's not always gonna hit a home run, but ladies, let me just tell you, one surefire way to make sure that your man is emotionally distant and cold is to criticize him when he's trying. Because what he is going to start believing in his mind is, I can never please her. What it's going to do is he's going to build up an emotional wall and he's going to quit trying. So ladies, let, let, let me just tell you when, you, when you tear your man down with sarcasm, when he's trying, but he just doesn't hit a grand slam, oh, oh honey, that was your attempt at a romantic date. <laughs> wow. Babe, that was, that was your best attempt at leading a family devotional for our kids? I could do better when I was in third grade. Oh, honey, that man, it's about time you got up and got our family ready for church, man. I've been waiting for years for you to lead our family spiritually. About time, boy. I'm just telling you, lady, you will, you will shut him down. He will build up walls. Your marriage will wither. Your sex life will be stale and robotic if it even exists at all. So ladies, let, let me just, if I could, word of encouragement to you. Encur encourage your man. Praise him when he leads well, when he serves you well. Articulate it, honor him, and then watch him begin to flourish and become the strong, caring, romantic man that you always hoped that he could be. Let me just say to men and women, uh, I don't want to sugarcoat this. I realize, this, this, Ephesians 5, this is hard work. It's hard work. You know why? Because it runs against everything inside of us. Could I just be transparent with you for a minute? Many days after work, after a long day of work, when I come home, I want to be served. I don't want to serve. 
That's my human nature. That's my sin nature. When I walk in, I want my, my wife to serve me and ask me how my day was and, and, and feed me filet mignon and, and, and a couple of nice sides and then maybe give me a back massage and invite me into the bedroom after we put the kids down. And that, like, I, want, I want to be served. I don't, I don't want to serve anybody else. It runs counterculture to our sinful nature, right? Our human instinct. But here's the thing. It is hard. But the great thing about this is it's not rocket science. And here's the best part. It works. It works. As a dude who's been married for almost 18 years, I can just tell you without a shadow of a doubt, if you have two people that are loving each other like this in a self-sacrificial way, this absolutely works. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to finish with, uh, for, for the married folks, uh, this is not for you single folks, uh, for the married folks, I want to I finish with a one-week practical challenge for those of you who are married. I want to start with the guys first. So this is one week challenge for you dudes. If you're married and, and you love Jesus and you follow Jesus and you want to obey his word, you want to apply his truth to your life and your marriage, here's, here's your homework assignment the next week. I want you to find three practical ways to serve, cherish, and love your wife this week. I know some of you dudes are like, man, I got a busy week. I work coming up. I'm so busy. I, listen, I don't care. We're all busy. We're all busy, right? There's, there's no excuse. A good marriage is either worth fighting for or it's not. And I'm telling you, no, Jesus is telling you, it is. It is worth fighting for. And so, dude, listen, get creative. Plan and execute a date, which means, guys, you figure out the child care plan. Don't put that on her. Hey, I'm going to take you out Friday night. Why don't you figure out the babysitter, right? And listen, don't you dare get in the car and look at her and say, where do you want to go? That's not romantic. You figure it out. You know what kind of food she likes. You know what kind of environment she likes. You, you plan and you execute the date. Get creative. Man, come home after a, a long, hard day. Clean the kitchen. Put the kids in bed while she runs a bath and reads a book. Listen, boys, get it done. Three times this week. Three times. Not once, not twice. Three times, all right? Now, just a warning to the ladies. Uh, don't, don't talk about it. Don't be like, hey, it's Thursday night. Pastor said, you only got three nights. You better get cracking, boy. You're, I'm going to email Chris. Um, don't, don't do that. That's not going to help the marriage. Listen, if, if he only gets one in there, gets two in there, pra praise him for it. He's trying. He's trying, all right? He'll, he'll get better at it. Don't dog him for it. But dudes, I'm telling you, three times, all right? You can do it, three times. Now, ladies, uh, your turn. Ladies, wives, actually. Wives, find three ways to honor, respect, and encourage your husband. Three ways to honor, respect, and encourage your husband. Now, it's interesting. Even secular studies show that for women, their primary need in a relationship or marriage is love, is to feel loved. But interestingly enough, for dudes, it's not love. That's not their, we, I mean, we love to be loved. Don't get me wrong. But that, that's not our primary need in marriage. Our primary need in marriage, what we desire, is respect. And so women, they, they kind of run on the fuel of love. Men run on the fuel of respect, so ladies, can I, can I just say, when he loads the dishwasher for you this week, please don't tell him that he put the bowls in the wrong way. And I know for some of you, you're, you've got to bite your, oh, you're going to have to bite. Man, I could get three more plates in there if you just did it my way. No, ladies, don't, please, don't. I know that's real hard for some of y'all. Don't, don't do it, all right? I don't care if you can get three more spoons in the bottom. Just let him, lo let him love you, let him serve you. Don't criticize him. Right? Tell him how sexy he is when he helps around the house. 
Right? You'll, man, he'll start doing all kinds of stuff around there. Hey, baby, look at uh, cleaning the, I'm cleaning the cupboard. You know? Praise him. <laughs> Lift him up, right? Build that into him. When he takes you on a date, don't complain about the restaurant that he chose for you. Right? Tell him you can't believe how well he loves you and serves you and how sexy that is, right? And listen, ladies, he'll, he'll get better at it with time, but, but build that up in him, right? We, I mean, there's, there's nothing as a, as a husband, as husbands, that we desire more than the affirmations of our, of our bride to know that our, our, our woman loves us, respects us, is behind us, supports us, and that will unleash amazing things in your marriage that you never even thought were possible. And then finally, here's a couple of assignments for, for you guys together. Number one is this. Pray together at least once. Now, it's shocking to me. as I, I do tons of premarital counseling. I do post-marriage counseling. I do all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. Um, and I talk to all kinds of couples all the time. And it's shocking to me how few Christian couples actually pray with each other ever. Now, they'll say things to me like, yeah, we pray alone or we pray with our kid. When's the last time you prayed with your wife, with your husband? Ah, I don't know, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of weird. Like, like 95 plus percent of couples that I talk to. And I'm just saying, listen, guys, if, if marriage, if, if sex within marriage is more than, than something that's just physical, which it is, it's something that it's an emotional bond, it's intended, it's designed to be an emotional bond, a spiritual bond, then we, we have to go deep spiritually with one another as well. And so if you both love Jesus, man, just, just take the time. Husbands, you initiate it. Maybe wives, you initiate it. But sit down and say, hey, babe, how, how can I pray for you this week? What, what wounds are, are in your heart that need, need healing? And how can, I, how can I pray for you in that way? Hey, hey husband, how, what, what do you have in, in your business work week this week? How can I, how can I pray for you? I want to lift you up to the Lord and ask him to honor you this week. That, that will revolutionize a marriage. And so listen, married couples, if you're not in the practice of praying with each other, that, that's a homework assignment as well. Find at least one time to pray, not by yourself for your spouse, but with your wife or your husband this week. The second homework assignment, and all the men will like this one, is increase your sex life. R- ramp up your intimate life. In fact, I would just challenge you to do it by 100%. So listen, if you're a married, and listen, if you're single, earmuff right now, right? This is, this, is just, this is just for married folks. If you're kind of a, a, a once a week couple, then this week it's twice a week. If you're kind of a twice a week couple, you, you can do the math, right? If you're over 90, you can just hold hands and stare in each other's eyes or something like that, right? The whole point, listen, the whole point is ramp it up! Ramp it up! And I promise you, listen guys, husbands and wives, when you begin to love each other in this Ephesians 5 blueprint kind of way where you're competing to outdo and outserve and outcherish, out honor, out respect, out love one another, it's not gonna be hard to ramp up in that area of your life. Listen guys, I am convinced that these biblical principles can absolutely transform your marriage. Listen guys, sex is good. God is for sex. He's pro-sex, he's not anti-sex in the context of Marriage between a man and a wife as they display the intimacy and the sacrificial love between Jesus and his bride, the church. Listen, husbands and wives, this, this matters. This has, this has kingdom implications. 
Do you not realize that your, your marriage preaches a sermon to the world every single day about how worthy or unworthy following Jesus is? So Christian husbands and wives, man, let's, let's live out legendary marriages that are just self-sacrificing and giving ourselves away for our spouse in such a way that points the world to the real ultimate bridegroom, the real savior, the real king who redeemed us and who loves us ferociously in spite, listen, in spite of all the ways we failed him. And don't we betray him probably on a daily basis for most of us. And yet he still loves us and he still pursues us and he still chases us down with his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And we are to model that to our spouse as a sermon to the world about the greatness of our king. So let's live out these legendary marriages in our lives. Uh, I want to close with this story as, as the band comes. I can remember kind of spent middle school, high school years in, in right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. And in the 90s, they, they built this uh, theme park. It was kind of like, I don't know, Six Flags Over Georgia or whatever one you can kind of think of the, with the roller coasters and the, the rides. And I remember there was, there was this one ride that I really loved, and, and it was one where you kind of sat down in the, the swing that had these long chains. Some of you have probably seen them, right? And so you strap in, and it kind of pulls you way up in the air, and then it kind of spins around pretty fast, so you kind of like go out to the side, and you're kind of like flying almost, you know, vertical to the ground and hor or horizontal to the ground. It's really, it was really exciting, and I loved that ride. And so I would go uh, every weekend with my buddies when I was 15, 16 years old, and I would ride that ride, and I would ride that ride. And one time, I rode that ride so many times that I got off, and I was so sick. All right, I got off, and man, I was, oh, I just felt terrible, and my equilibrium was off, and it looked like I was like a drunk sailor, couldn't walk well, felt like I was going to puke, and it was awful, right? And ever since that one time, I can't ride any ride now without getting sick, man. I can't even get on a boat or an airplane without medicine. What happened is that ride broke something in my brain. It's, ne it's never been the same. And listen, some, I'm just telling you, some of you are thinking about getting on that ride right now, relationally or sexually. And you're here in the room or maybe you're watching online and you're, you're thinking about sleeping with your boyfriend. You're thinking about moving in with your girlfriend. You're thinking about indulging in that same-sex relationship. You're, you're thinking about flirting with someone at work and maybe engaging in an affair on your wife or your husband. And I just want to say, if that's you, if you're thinking about getting on that ride today, I just want to say the gentle voice of the Savior today is whispering to you, beloved, beloved, I have a better way for you. I've got a better, more healthy way, a more invigorating way that will allow you to flourish in your relationships and flourish sexually. And listen, I also know there are others of you here right now and you're already on the ride. And you've been trying to get off the ride, but it's hard and I know it's hard because I've been here. I've been there, right? And whatever it is for you, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're already hooked on porn or maybe you're already sleeping with somebody that's not your spouse. Man, you already had the affair. You went through the divorce. And you've given away pieces of yourself that are really hard to get back. And here's what you're feeling right now, hearing a message like this. You're feeling tons of shame and guilt and you're feeling really broken inside. And if that's you, I just want you to hear that this good news for you today, listen guys, is that Jesus is still a savior full of grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And he loves you. And he's coming after you. And he's chasing you because he cares about you.
And so I just want to say, listen, if, if you're sitting there in the, the ashes of relationships and failed sexual experiments or whatever it is, I want you to say, Jesus specializes in taking ashes, the ashes of a broken life and breathing new life and a new start and creating something beautiful in people's lives. And so if that's you, if you say, man, Chris, that's me, I just feel so ashamed and I feel so used and I feel so broken and I feel so guilty and I feel so gross because of what I've done or somebody else did to me. God, let me just say, run to the Savior today. Run to him. Don't walk. Sprint to him. He's waiting for you. And I want me also to say, man, if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're hearing all this stuff and you're like, man, I want to I know this Savior who loves me in spite of my sin and in spite of my failures. I, I want to know him and I want him to transform me from the inside out like he promises to do. I want you to know you can start that relationship with the Savior of this universe today. You can do it today. I want to say, after we sing in just a minute, I'm going to be up here. There's going to be some other people. Come, we would love to walk you through starting that journey with Jesus. If you're online, there are online service hosts that would love to walk you through starting that journey with Jesus. Come talk to somebody if that's where you are. But know this, listen, friend, you are loved. You are loved far more than you could ever imagine by a God who is for you and not against you. Let's pray and then we'll sing. God, we, we come to you. Father, and, and we are grateful for the gift of sex. We are grateful for the boundaries that you put around sex, this whole beautiful idea of marriage. God, thank you for those healthy boundaries that are there not to restrict our fun, but actually to, to free us to become the men and women that you've designed us to be so that we can live holistic and healthy lives and have healthy relationships and be a shining light to those around us. God, thank you for that. Father, would you help our marriages, marriages in this room, point to you, the ultimate bridegroom who gave himself up to sacrifice himself for his bride, the church. God, would you always remind us that our marriages, whether we like it or not, that are always preaching a sermon to the world around us. Help us to preach good sermons with our marriage, Father. There's so much at stake. And God, I just want to lift up, I, I, I know there's gotta be marriages in this room, maybe folks watching online, Marriages that are just teetering on the brink of divorce. Maybe there's a couple here, maybe you've already given up. Maybe you think it's gone too far, that there's no hope. God, God, would you just remind us that you can breathe new life into any person, that you can breathe new life into any situation, that you delight to restore what is broken. God, when we come to you and we commit to follow your way and your blueprint for our lives, for our relationships, for our sex life, for our marriage, God, help us to cling to you in spite of everything that the world is telling us. They're telling us that, that everything that the word says that you say is so old-fashioned and out of date, God, but this is the one pathway that will lead us to life and flourishing, God, and so help us press into you this week in our relationships and in our marriages for your name's sake and for your glory, Jesus. It's in your name that we ask and we pray all these things. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing.